I invite you now to open your Bibles uh, to the book of Lamentations. The book of Lamentations. In the Old Testament, a little more than halfway through, after Jeremiah, before Ezekiel, Lamentations is a short book, only five chapters, really five poems, as we'll see. So you might flip past it. If you're using one of the black Bibles that's under, the, uh, under one of the chairs in front of you, you'll find Lamentations beginning on page 641. If you don't have a Bible of your own, a physical Bible of your own, take that, black, that little black Bible that's under the uh, chair in front of you. Take that home. That's our gift to you. Uh, it is good, and, uh, it is good and helpful to have a physical copy uh, of God's Word in our possession, that we might look at it, uh, and that it might not, uh, you know, the battery won't die on it, and, uh, and it'll never run out of juice, and you won't have any connectivity problems. So you can always look in a physical Bible. Lamentations. This morning we begin, or, or I should say return to, an occasional series that we do. Uh, the series title is called Woven. You see that on the screen behind me, Discovering Christ in All of Scripture. This sermon series that we began, oh, a long time ago, uh, and, uh, and have continued over the years, intends to look at whole books of the Bible, one sermon at a time. So today we're going to look at all of Lamentations from kind of a 30,000 foot view to see how God is working in and through and speaking to his people in, in the whole of this book. Now I won't preach, normally I'll preach every verse in a passage that we're looking at week to week. This week I won't preach every verse of Lamentations, uh, but we'll hit on some key points uh, as we work through it. The fictional thief of Agrabah, Aladdin, once quipped, you're only in trouble if you get caught. Of course, Aladdin is immediately thereafter apprehended by somebody he's just stolen something from. <laughs> Aladdin's humorous thief's wisdom, you're only in trouble if you get caught, is, is really no wisdom at all. It's based on the logic that crimes are only crimes and sins are only sins if the people who are violated know that they have been violated. Aladdin lives by his own code of justice, which means that justice never comes knocking at his door, well, unless he gets caught anyway. This very flippant view, this very foolish view of justice is in many ways a part of what the people of Judah, living 2,600 years ago, lived by themselves. Oh yes, God is the only God. That is the only God beside all these other ones that we've come to worship as well. Yes, God said that we are to care for the widow and the orphan because his heart is for the vulnerable, but when was the last time he really came down to check on that? Oh, sure, his temple is beautiful, and, and we do worship him there in Jerusalem, that shining city on a hill, but surely he, he won't be concerned over the many other smaller shrines to other gods that we've erected all over the land. God had warned his people in the latter chapters of Deuteronomy that he does see all that his people do, and he does care about all that they do, and that he does, whether they think he recognizes it or not, he does know every sin that they have committed against him, and that if they were to worship false gods and deal unjustly with one another, that they would be severely disciplined. Last year, as we were in our Woven series in the fall of last year, we saw in Isaiah and Jeremiah, those two prophetic books that precede Lamentations, that the many people of Israel and Judah had not escaped the holy eye of God, despite all of their attempts to do so, and their sins were going to be met with severe justice at his hand. That justice came in the later chapters of Jeremiah, and the people of Ju as the people of Judah were taken into exile into a foreign nation, Babylon. The temple of God in Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians, and there were people, Judahites, left dead, homeless, destitute all along the way. God's justice for the heinous sins of Judah had been visited upon them in full. Lamentations is a book 
that records how the survivors of Israel and Judah responded to God's justice. When it comes, how did they respond? And it's a helpful book. Lamentations is a helpful book for shaping how we should view and respond to God's justice as well. You're only in trouble if you get caught. Bad news is God sees all that you do and know and all of your sins. As we consider how Lamentations helps us to respond to justice, I would invite you to stand for a moment. We won't read all of Lamentations, but we will read Lamentations chapter 3. Verses 21 through 33. Stand as you're comfortably able as we honor God by reading His Word before jumping in to it in, in, in some greater depth. The writer of Lamentations says this, but this I call to mind, Lamentations 3.21, this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not, be, will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not willingly afflict, afflict or grieve the children of men. This is God's word. You may be seated. And we begin Lamentations with a, a hopeful tone, a hopeful tune within the course of the book. But it's going to get much worse, I assure you. That was supposed to be a joke. It didn't land that way. Um, but it will get worse before it gets better. As we consider whole books of the Bible this way uh, in, in this woven series, it helps us to do, uh, to, to do some study into some of the particulars of the book, how, how that this book of Lamentations, how this collection of poems came to us, who wrote it, when was it written, how should we think about it as we read it. And so hopefully as you came in, you were given a, a little uh, uh, a single bifold note sheet that you can follow along with, and some of these details are in there. Anytime we come to a book of the Bible to study it, we need to consider first who is the author. Now, we know that God is the divine author of all of Scripture. By His Holy Spirit, He has inspired uh, men to write His Word for uh, His people and for generations thereafter. Well, the human, but the human author of Lamentations is a little more difficult to pin down. Technically, the book is anonymous. Uh, long tradition has held that Jeremiah the same prophet by the same name who wrote the book of Jeremiah, is himself the author of Lamentations. Second Chronicles 35.25 says that Jeremiah uttered a lament for Josiah, the king. And it's presumed that his laments continued on and uh, into those that are recorded in Lamentations also. So there is no, no formal author of Lamentations, though someone had to have written it. Likely, it seems, it was Jeremiah the prophet. Well, when was this book written? It wasn't written yesterday, and it wasn't written in 1611 when the King James Bible was published. It was written much earlier. The composition of Lamentations likely took place shortly after the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple uh, in Jerusalem by the nation Babylon sometime in the years 587 and 586 B.C. Uh, so this is an old book, about 2,500 years old or so. Lamentations, if I were to sum it up in, in just a few short sentences, I would say it this way that Lamentations is a collection of five poems, there's five chapters, each is a poem, that collectively mourn, that grieve the fall and destruction of Jerusalem in the temple. 
Lamentations 1, 2, and 4 are each acrostic poems, Hebrew acrostic poems, using consecutive letters of the Hebrew alphabet to begin each line of the poem. Now, that acrostic doesn't show through in our English translations, but if we were reading this in the Hebrew in which it was written, we would see it for sure. Lamentations 3 is kind of special. It's the, the, the literal center of Lamentations. It's also the theological center of Lamentations. And Lamentations 3 is a triple acrostic where each stanza contains three lines and each line begins with the same letter of the Hebrew alphabet. This highlights chapter 3 as the, the theological center of this collection of poems. The acrostic nature of the poems serves as a mnemonic device for those who are memorizing and reciting lamentations. But stylistically, this acrostic pattern also shows that lament over Jerusalem's fall is total. It goes from A to Z, or in Hebrew, from Aleph to Tav. Chapter 5, then, contains the same number of lines, the same number of verses as chapters 1, 2, and 4, but it doesn't follow the same acrostic poem. It's a little more uh, chaotic, uh, alphabetically, if we could put it that way. It doesn't follow the acrostic form, but it does have the same number of verses to show continuity uh, with the rest of Lamentations. Now, Lamentations is written from a number of different perspectives on the disaster that's been brought on Jerusalem and the people of Judah. There's a perspective of the outside observer. There's a perspective of the city itself personified. There's the perspective of the prophet who's been given divine insight into the reason for Jerusalem's fall. And the perspective of the one who endured the fall firsthand, who saw it happen, who, who had it happen to them, and then is walking away from the city as it is laid to ruins. Historically, Lamentations has been read in the temple and in synagogue worship during annual days of remembering the fall of Jerusalem. The Hebrew title of Lamentations is not Lamentations. The Hebrew title is Ekah, which is literally is Hebrew for the word, the question word, how. It's the first word of chapters 1, 2, and 4. Uh, Lamentations 1, 1. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. Lamentations chapter 2, verse 1. How the Lord in His anger has set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. Lamentations uh, 4.1. It's a, one more page over. How the gold has grown dim. How pure the gold is changed. There are a number of significant themes that are developed throughout Lamentations. Themes like the justice of God. Themes like the responsibility of sinners for the consequences of their sin. Like the sovereign, the, the sovereign purpose of God in suffering. Like hope for God's mercy, even in the midst of suffering. Now, Lamentations does not appear to us as a, a book out of nowhere and for no purpose. It, it falls in the scope of God's redemptive, His rescuing work throughout history from creation in the garden and Adam and Eve made in God's image to fill the earth, to multiply and fill the earth, to subdue it and, 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 and take mastery over it, to Adam and Eve's fall and eating from the tree that they were commanded not to eat and thereby breaking fellowship with God and bringing sin into the world and along with it the full consequence for sin, which is death. God's work in the world continues and it doesn't stop there with man's sin and uh, and bringing of death into the world, but continues on in a plan for redemption. God rescuing a people for Himself. God redeeming a people from their slavery to sin, that they might be sons and daughters of righteousness. And God completes that work ultimately in Christ, but there are shadows of redemption all throughout the Old Testament, from the Exodus to the return from exile, all the way until Jesus' birth and life, death and resurrection. And God's redemption history will ultimately come to its conclusion in the consummation 
When Christ the King returns to bring heaven to earth in one blessed union that his people might live with him there forever. Well, where does Lamentations fall in the middle of all this? Well, it falls somewhere in that space in between fall and redemption. Obviously, the causes, the, the consequences of sin are plain for the person who is reading Lamentations, reciting Lamentations, and, and yet there is hope for redemption, uh, for rescue, for restoration to God, even though it's not quite there yet. So if you're taking notes on that little note sheet, you may want to circle that little arrow in between fall and redemption uh, in the course, in the scope of redemption history. That's where Lamentations falls, in that very tense middle space between having all the consequences of sin plain to you, and hoping for rescue. Now, Lamentations is Hebrew poetry, like Psalms, like parts of the prophets, uh, like much of the Proverbs. Lamentations is often grouped in our English Bibles with the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, Uh, but it shouldn't be read quite the same way as the other prophets. It's better to read poetry, the better way to read poetry... Hebrew poetry is to focus on the development of themes through uh, the use of imagery, through voice, through repetition, through parallelism, which is two lines of a poem saying the same thing in, or, or in different or uh, intensifying ways. Follow the themes through simile and metaphor. And so as you read Lamentations on your own and as you study it, I encourage you to ask yourself questions like these. What is the historic context of Lamentations? Remember, these are songs, these are poems for people to sing to remember the destruction of the temple because of the people's sin. Ask, how would the first readers, how would the first hearers have thought about this poetry? How would they have recited it? What what emotion, what response would it have evoked within them? Ask, how do these poems reveal, what do these poems reveal about the character of God and His relationship to His people? And then, then make it present. Ask all the past questions and then make it present. How does God's revelation of His character then apply to how His people should live now? We considered a timeline of historic events in Judah the last time when we looked at Jeremiah. I won't cover all of those again, but you'll remember just briefly that the, the northern kingdom of Israel fell to Assyria in 722 B.C. In 587-586 B.C., Jerusalem was sacked by Babylon and the temple was destroyed. And the last king of Judah, Zedekiah's sons, were slaughtered in front of him. And he was blinded by Nebuchadnezzar and taken into Babylon as exile. Jeremiah was a prophet through all of that. He himself being taken off into exile into Egypt. You have in your note guide a, a, an outline of Lamentations. Lamentations 1, and the, and the outline just follows the chapters. Lamentations 1, How Lonely Sits the City. It's a poem about Jerusalem's devastation. Lamentations 2, How the Lord in His Anger. This is God's sovereign complicity in judgment. Lamentations 3 begins, I am the man who has seen affliction. It's a poem about the broken, humble, hopeful sinner. Lamentations 4, how the gold has grown dim, the lost glory of Jerusalem. Lamentations 5, a plea, a cry, restore us to yourself, O Lord. Lamentations is a book about responding to judgment. As we said before, last year we looked at the companion work to Lamentations, the prophet Jeremiah, and we saw in that prophet numerous warnings of God's judgment coming. A day of the Lord that was going to come upon God's people for all of their sin of idolatry, spiritual adultery. The day of the Lord was a visitation of God and judgment upon His people. The day of the Lord for the Hebrew people was a terrifying prospect. 
to have your city laid waste, to have your livelihood destroyed, to have your family scattered, or even worse, and there is worse in Lamentations. And all, not because God is a capricious or malevolent deity who raises up and tears down people for his entertainment, but rather God visits on the day of the Lord because he's a holy God and a just God who judges human wickedness and does not allow the evils that are perpetrated by the people that he rescued from slavery to go unpunished. Jeremiah was a book of the promise of God's coming judgment against Judah for their unfaithfulness to him in idolatry and their wickedness to one another and their neglect of the vulnerable. And as Lamentations describes in graphic detail, God's justice brings about great suffering for the people that it affects. But as Lamentations also demonstrates for us, there is good that is meant to come from divinely inflicted suffering. God does not punish his people without purpose. There is good and a right response to God's judgment when it does come. So let's consider Lamentations. First, among the major themes or movements or uh, things to, to, to grab from this book is this, that Jerusalem fell because of its sin. Jerusalem did not fall just because the king of Babylon got it into his mind one day that he wanted to take it over. Jerusalem fell because of its sin. As Jeremiah makes abundantly clear in his Lamentations remembers, it was the sin of Jerusalem that led to its destruction. Now the collection of Laments begins by describing the lonely and desolate state of the city. Lamentations 1, 1 and 2 says, How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow she has become, she who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies." But the author goes on to say why the city and the nation fell. It was bad that it fell. It was terrible that it fell. But he says that the city and its people were sinful. Lamentations 1, 8 and 9. Jerusalem sinned grievously. Therefore, she became filthy. All who honored her despise her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She took no thought of her future. Therefore, her fall is terrible. She has no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. Lamentations 5-7 describes the sins to the people as well. Our fathers sinned and are no more, and we bear their iniquities. Two things are evident in the people's sin prior to the fall at the hands of Babylon. First, the description of Jerusalem as a, a harlot, a prostitute, whose nakedness has been seen by others. This is a normal biblical way of describing spiritual adultery. God or idolatry. God in his covenant with Israel compared their relationship to a marriage. He is a faithful husband. She is his bride that he has redeemed from slavery. It's an image that continues even into the new covenant people of the church who are the bride of Christ. The harlotry of Jerusalem, the the spiritual prostitution of Jerusalem, images they're giving themselves over in illicit worship of gods who were not the Lord. Further, as chapter 5, verse 7 indicates, this was not a a one-time problem. This is a generational sin. Our fathers sinned and taught us to sin, and now we're reaping the consequences of it. God's judgment upon Israel was not just for one misstep of the people, though it would have been justified all the same, but rather God's judgment came after centuries and generations of unrepentance by the people. The Judahites, the Israelites, had, become, had so denied the judgment of God upon them that they even paid the prophets who lived among them to say a good word, to lie to them about uh, their spiritual state in order to calm their conscience. Lamentations 
The author says, Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes, but have seen for you oracles that are false and misleading. People saying to the prophets, Give us a good word. This is all really bad. Tell us something nice. The prophets, in reality, didn't have anything nice to say, so everything that they told the people was a lie. The people were sinful. We also learn that the leaders of the people were unclean. They were themselves sinful. Lamentations 4, 12-15 says, The kings of the earth did not believe, nor any of the inhabitants of the world, that foe or enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. This was for the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests, who shed in the midst of her the blood of the righteous. They wandered blind through the streets. They were so defiled with blood that no one was able to touch their garments. Away, unclean, people cried at them. Away, away, do not touch. So they became fugitives and wanderers. People said among the nations, they shall stay with us no longer. These descriptions of sin that occur throughout Lamentations are more than mere descriptions. In the context of Lamentations, these are confessions of sin. Statements of ownership and responsibility for the guilt of wrongdoing. Denial of of their guilt was what led to their horrid condition in the aftermath of Babylon's conquest of Jerusalem. What made it all the worse was the fact that the princes and the prophets of the people were complicit in their sin too. In taking bribes to give worthless, false words of comfort, those who were supposed to be the bearers of God's warning and instructors in holiness themselves defiled their own lives and led the people further astray. In the grim wake of all that sin had gotten for them, the people mourn their sin. They confess it to God. They own it. And they do what is right to do. They grieve that they have despised the Lord. Friend, what do you do with the knowledge of your own sin? Do you, like the people of Jerusalem before their destruction, do you deny it? Try to convince yourself of a different reality? What about you, Christian? who has some authority and influence in the lives of others, whether you're a a father or a mother, a pastor, a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, a ministry leader, when you see others sinning or you see sin in your own life, do you lean upon the crooked crutch of twisted spirituality to make yourself and others feel good about their sin? Or do you see it for the danger that it is, that the wages of sin is death, as Paul says in Romans 6.23? And that they always have been. The wages of sin has always been death. And do you mourn your rebellion against God? Do you embrace the discomfort of confrontation for the sake of warning people away from danger? Friend, do you have sin in your life today? How will you respond in this moment? Will you grieve over it as Lamentations teaches us to? Will you confess it to God? Or will you continue in denial of your sin and the results that denial of it brings? Jerusalem fell because its people were sinful. We learn also in Lamentations that Jerusalem fell because God caused it to. It's common in our culture and in other cultures today to think of God as a benevolent old man in the sky who only does what is nice and helpful and for the happiness and health of others. And if there's suffering in your life, it must be from, some, from, from Satan or some other spiteful person or, or wicked spirit. It is equally common to think of God as being a strict spiritual taskmaster who mostly leaves people alone unless they get on his bad side and then he sends suffering to straighten them out. Either God is good and suffering is outside of him or God is mischievous and impulsive and uses suffering to toy with humans. Neither perspective, friends, is biblical. In fact, what Lamentations is certain to affirm for us is that God is good and God is holy. And God desires what is good for his people. 
but also that he causes, that he brings about suffering to bring about the repentance of his people. The suffering of the Judahites was neither accidental nor just a result of Babylonian cruelty. Hear how the author of Lamentations credits God for what has happened. Lamentations 2, 1 through 8. If you have your Bibles open, you can turn there and, and read along. Lamentations 2, 1 to 8. Listen to all the emphasis on, on who is doing the action here. How the Lord in His anger has set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. He has cast down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered His footstool in the day of His anger The Lord has swallowed up without mercy all the habitations of Jacob. In his wrath, he has broken down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought down to the ground in dishonor the kingdom and its rulers. He has cut down in fierce anger all the might of Israel. He has withdrawn from them his right hand in the face of the enemy. He has burned like a flaming fire in Jacob, consuming all around. He has bent his bow like an enemy with his right hand set like a foe. And he has killed all who were delightful in our eyes in the tent of the daughter of Zion. He has poured out his fury like fire. The Lord has become like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all its palaces. He has laid its ruins and strongholds. And he has multiplied in the daughter of Judah mourning and lamentation. He has laid waste his booth like a garden, laid in ruins his meeting place. The Lord has made Zion forget festival and Sabbath, and in his fierce indignation has spurned king and priest. The Lord has scorned his altar, disowned his sanctuary. He has delivered into the hands of the enemy the walls of her palaces. They raised a clamor in the house of the Lord as on the day of the festival. The Lord determined to lay in ruins the wall of the daughter of Zion. He stretched out the measuring line. He did not restrain his hand from destroying. He caused rampart and wall to lament. They languished together. Friends, here's a truth that we cannot deny from Scripture and and do deny to our own danger. That God is truly sovereign. He is truly in control of all things. Even the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and the deportation of His people was not outside of His control but a part of his divine oversight and action. Yes, Babylon destroyed Jerusalem, but it was God's judgment upon Jerusalem for their unrepentant sin that brought that destruction about. Like Job, Lamentations engages in theodicy, an explanation of how suffering and a good God fit together. Lamentations does not answer the question to all suffering, but it does offer an explanation to the suffering of the people after the destruction of Jerusalem. Suffering comes not because God is evil, Suffering does not come because God does not care, but rather suffering comes upon His people in lamentations because He is inestimably good and because He cares deeply for justice and holiness and the holiness of His people. Lamentations 3, 37 to 42 says, Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Why should a living man complain, a man, about the punishment of his sins? Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. It is, in fact, the sure knowledge that God has brought this hardship upon his people, that they can cry to him to relieve them of their suffering. Knowing where it comes from helps them to know who to go to for help. And they don't go to the Babylonians for help from their suffering. They go back to God, who's in charge of it anyway. Lamentations 5.1, Look, O Lord, for I am in distress. 
My stomach churns. My heart is wrung within me because I have been very rebellious. In the street, the sword bereaves. In the house, it is like death. Excuse me, that's Lamentations 1.20. Lamentations 5.1. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. The Lord has done this. It is Him that we'll go to. The goodness and justice of God leads Him to discipline those whom He loves so that they will turn to Him in repentance. It is God's love for His people and His love for all people that He punishes sin so that we might know His call to repent and to be healed. Sometimes the kindness of God's love looks like a loving father dragging his precious child kicking and screaming out of a busy street into which he has chased his toy. Sometimes it looks like a father's patient presence that lets his child touch the hot stove about which he's already been repeatedly warned, ready to console and comfort him after a painful lesson learned. Now, I'm not saying that all suffering in your life is because of sin. Don't hear me say that today. Nor am I saying that God is working to get your attention every time you encounter something difficult. As one pastor has said, God is not a riddler. He's not coding messages into your difficulty finding a parking space at the grocery store. He's already said with abundant clarity what He desires for you and from you in His Word. Read His Word. If you want to know what God wants from you, hear what He has said. Read what He has said. When you encounter suffering, there's an opportunity to take stock of your life. It may be that God is dragging you from a disastrous course of action that you need to repent from. When you have a hardship, reflect on your actions. It may be that God is seeking to reveal patterns of disobedience that need to be confessed and left behind. But finally, know that all suffering is not meant for punishment. Sometimes it's meant for shaping and maturing. James, the brother of Jesus in the New Testament, says in James chapter 1, verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Peter, in his first letter, 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7, reminding the, the church of the salvation, the hope that they have in Christ, says, in this, in this hope that you have, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whatever your station in life, whatever hardship you encounter, you may know that it is not outside of God's control and that in the hands of God, even suffering can be a kind teacher, a teacher of repentance. Suffering can be a teacher of discipline, a teacher of maturity, a teacher of joy in God who hears and sees and remembers and knows His people. Jerusalem fell because the people sinned. Jerusalem fell because God caused it to. But finally, and Lamentations kind of ends on this note or leads us toward this tone, which is not altogether bad. It's actually quite good. That there is finally always hope in God. There's always hope in the Lord. This is the, the somewhat unexpected contrast to the prevailing themes of sin and suffering and repentance and lament in Lamentations. I'll be honest with you. Lamentations is a hard book to read really hard. And yet the promise of hope that the very existence and loving character of God holds out for those who turn to Him explodes in brilliance like a diamond in a dark room when even just the smallest ray of light creeps in to fall upon it. 
The hope that is found in the person of God shines through in the heart of the theological center of Lamentations. In light of all that we've just seen in Lamentations, the city city fell because of the people's sin. The city fell because God caused it to. In the middle of the middle of the book, we have this gleaming ray of hope and light. The verses that we began our time with, Lamentations 3, 21 to 33. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him... Be filled with insults, for the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. The love of God never ceases toward those who belong to him. Even when they walk in the depth of their sin, even when the discipline of the Lord lies heavy upon them, even when his righteous justice is finding its satisfaction in their punishment, his steadfast love, his covenant loyalty, his merciful faithfulness, his, the Hebrew word is chesed. His chesed never runs out. The theological anchor of the Bible, this is the, the theological anchor of the Bible that God is gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love and forgiveness is what gives those who lament their sin much hope. It is the love of God for his image bearers that bends his righteous hand to afflict them in their sin that they might repent. It is the unending faithfulness of God to his own promises that he does not deny his character by destroying those that he has covenanted with. And it is the definitively gracious character of God that compels him to have compassion on those who confess their sin, who repent, and who trust him in faith. Because of who God is, Jeremiah can say, and those who read the Lamentations as ones grieving their sin can pray with confidence, as the author of Lamentations does in in chapter 5, verse 21, Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. Lamentations 5, 21, second to last verse of the book, is that restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, but Lamentations doesn't quite end on that level of confidence. Lamentations kind of ends with a question. Look at the very last verse, Lamentations 5, verse 22. Unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. That's a bit of the question for those who know their sin, who lament it, and who hope in the Lord, and who hope that the Lord will save. God, will you save me? God, can you save me from the destruction that I've brought upon myself? Is it possible for you to forgive my sin and still be a righteous God who punishes evil? The Bible frequently will end books with a question like that. It kind of leaves it in the lap of the reader to consider who who is God and, and is God faithful to these things? Will God do what is right and just? Can he do what is good? The final sort of questioning tone of Lamentations leads us to look forward for an answer. And so from the perspective of Lamentations, we can look forward for an answer to that question, God, have you utterly rejected us? 
Will you remain exceedingly angry with us forever? Can you forgive my sin? Will you forgive my sin? Here's where Lamentations turns our attention forward in time, 600 years or so later after its authorship. From outside Jerusalem in tears over its destruction at the hands of Babylon to a hill outside Jerusalem where the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth, hung on a cross in the place of sinners. From Lamentations, we can look to Jesus. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26, the Apostle Paul says this, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. That means a, an atoning sacrifice to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Peter commends and encourages the church to remember in 1 Peter 3.18 that Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Friends, this is the very hope of the gospel. That not only does God maintain His righteousness by judging sin, by punishing sin, but that He also makes possible the righteousness of the sinner, Jesus who is himself the very righteousness of God, being God in human flesh, voluntarily takes the place of sinners beneath the righteous wrath of God against sin, and in his death makes possible the way to forgiveness, the way to righteousness, and a place at the table of God's mercy. Lamentations teaches us to mourn our sin, to confess it to God, to pursue his purposes in our suffering, and to find our ultimate hope in him. Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, has taken the hope of lamentations and made it more than wishful thinking. Jesus has taken the hope of lamentations and made it, for those who believe, a confident expectation. That when we become aware of our sin, it is still right to mourn it and and to confess it. And when we do, we have the sure and certain promise of forgiveness. There is no hoping against hope that God will restore us, but the promise that in Christ He will and that in Christ He has 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. How have you responded to God's justice? Have you laughed it off as a tale told by old men who use it to wield power? Or have you taken the prospect of God's justice soberly, considering your own moral failings and what they deserve? The question before us as we consider lamentations is whether today you will mourn your sin, lament it, confess it to God. Will you see His justice for your sins received by Jesus? And will you trust Him for your rescue? It's there. It's promised for you. Christian, having already trusted Jesus this way, will you continue to lament your sin? There's never a bad day to lament sin. Will you continue to grieve that it grieves God when you entertain rebellion against Him? Will you try to somehow convince yourself that you don't need to confess your sins to God, that you can somehow hide them away from Him? 
Will you return in repentance to Jesus for healing and cleansing? His word is promised you'll get it. He's promised these things to you. What keeps you from him today? What keeps you from responding to his grace and mercy to you in Christ today? However Lamentations meets you this morning, I adjure you, let not pride keep you from the joy that comes with lamenting sin and believing Christ. That's where Lamentations points us. That's the hope that Jesus fulfills. Find cleansing, find forgiveness, find restoration in him. Let's pray together.